just end my, um, my heart to share today with a story from the Bible. Um, I've called it, it's not actually, the subject is not found in the Bible. Clearly, I call it Christmas cleaning. And um, I don't know if you've got this thing going in, in Zambia that uh, there are seasons where you do a special house cleaning. So in Denmark, for sure, we have like a spring cleaning and there's even people that do like a Christmas cleaning. Um, that means that uh, you sort of, you go through all the rooms in the house, you uh, pull out all the, the furniture and the dust that's been gathering behind it for a season. And then before going into the next season, you clean out all the dirt and the dust that just seems to come from nowhere and suddenly it's behind your closet or under your bed or whatever. So you pull out the furniture and you start the vacuum cleaner and you, or you, s you start sweeping or whatever and you run through the whole house like that and we call that Christmas cleaning and spring cleaning and probably you've got some special occasions where it seems to be right to clean, do an extra endeavor in cleaning. So um, we've had for this conference, the subject that took its, um, its, uh, its um, scripture in um, Deuteronomy chapter 15, and Pastor Benjamin has shared that and read that with us. I would, um, I would have read that if it wasn't already read, so I just thought I would uh, read where it is mentioned also in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 13 to 17. You know, the year of Jubilee, the year of release, was a standard that God put up for Israel to celebrate. But it didn't work out as it often is with us people in the way that God has intended it for us to work out. So what the Israelites did was not actually effectuate what God had called them to do. They put it down probably in their notes. They wrote it down in Deuteronomy. And then they left it there as a good, nice idea. And sometime we might get around to it. But it's bad business, so we don't get around to it just now. You know, it's bad business if you have to get, release your debtors, right? It's, it's hard to, to run a bank if you r release all your debtors every seven years. It's bad business. So it's like, I, we can get why the Jewish people would, would find that, well, that's a great ideal, Moses. We, we kind of like it. it. It seems all happy-clappy. But let's just make a note of that and put it in there in the, in the scriptures. We might just get around to it at some point. And in Jeremiah chapter 33, oh, sorry, 34, and verse 13, we read the Lord speaking through the prophet. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, at the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who's been sold to him. 
And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house which I called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom they had set at liberty at their pleasure, and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you've not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord. To the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. Oh, wow, that's quite a word from the prophet right there for Israel, right? So the thing is, I've read several scholars who say that the Deuteronomy 15 order of uh, setting debtors free was most likely, according to both what we read here in Jeremiah, but also according to other uh, ancient writings, never really put into practice. Some would say it was put into practice at times. Some argue that it might have been put into practice in sort of a way. Like some um, uh, scholars would say that it was, there, there was spoken a word of liberty for, from your uh, interest rate on your debts, but the debts were still there. And then next year, you'd get your interest rates back on. So it was just a year away from interest rates. Some would argue, some scholars, that it might have been like it seems here in Jeremiah that they would express liberty and then bring people back in and it was understood that, well, surely you still owe me. I mean, I know I did express liberty and, and you were set free of debts, but that was more like a thing we did for the Lord to hear and now it's back to everyday business. So, you know, Israel was working their way around how God intended things to be. There's a story of Jesus doing a Christmas cleaning at some point. Maybe some of you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so let's read from John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Um, that's an interesting story. I don't know. 
Let's reflect on some of the images we get when we read this story. I've heard people actually asking me as a pastor, is Jesus a reflection of God? And clearly, yes, he is. He is the clear expression to us of God's uh, heart. And and, uh, through Jesus, we behold the Father. And it's so, they ask me back, is God angry with people because you see him going bananas in the temple and I'm like I see your point but you have completely misunderstood what this text is about now maybe you've got one of these things sitting in your mind and if you even go through them now just take them Jesus you can see the, the everybody's scared of him it's basically if this is God everybody's scared of God right and Jesus going bananas with that, uh, with that whip. Let's take another one. This is an ancient painting. You see again Jesus, this time not full of anger though, but he's still running, uh, running amok here. People just, he's creating havoc in the temple. It seems even, even the pillars are almost uh, falling down. This is more like a Samson story, isn't it? it? This goes crazy. It's like, Jesus, hold back. Everything is falling apart if you don't hold, hold back. Now let's do another one. And we've told these stories over and over again. People scared of Jesus as he's going, uh, he's going crazy with that whip. Let's take another one. That's from, a, that's from a children's Bible. And I'm like, oh my, we have really not gotten the point of this. And you go like, maybe, really? I thought that was what it was about. Jesus being mad at people. No. What did he use the whip for? We just read it. Chasing out the animals. Well, surely also the people. No, it doesn't say. It says he chased out. He, he made a whip. Most scholars would say the rope that was there was the ropes used to tie up the animals. So he would have used, he would have unleashed them. And just, you know, like you do with a, with a horse or something, you just you sort of whip it to uh, get it moving, right? So it's quite a natural, quite a natural thing. Then there's the thing about the money changes tables being turned over. That surely is aggressive behavior. You can't explain that one away. Yeah, sure. God, Jesus did actually, um, did actually respond with anger. But what was he angry with? We've just seen, we've just read, he did not whip Jesus did not whip people. He chased the animals out. All of these paintings haven't gotten the single clue of what the scripture is about. In these pictures, these well known to us, if you read your bi- children's Bibles, it, it's illustrated that Jesus is just mad at everyone, everyone, right? He's going crazy with everyone. That's not the point here. He might have been angry at somebody that's just not in the text. Why, why, why turning over the money changers' tables? Wasn't that a bit then out of, out of order? So, this matters. How you look at Jesus turning over the money changers' tables matters quite a lot. As I said, in Hebrews, 
it says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So whatever Jesus did in the temple gives us a clear insight into God's heart for people. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said about himself, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It matters what Jesus did in the temple. It's not something we could easily just dismiss and say, well, he had a bad day. No, whatever he did, it does matter because it tells you something about God as your heavenly Father. So we've got to stay with this vision, no matter how uncomfortable it does make us initially. But I hope and I pray that God will open up some of the bad understanding of reading this passage will be taken out of us today and replaced by some other vision that is more biblical to as to what Jesus actually did in that temple that day. So we know that Jesus didn't have a problem with people being sinful. We see that all over the Bible. I shared with you yesterday um, the open circles in John chapter 4, verse 20, we read just one of the many passages of Jesus reaching out to a Samaritan woman and said, our, uh, she, she asks, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where one must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, a time is coming when it won't matter where you worship but in spirit and truth. So clearly, Jesus being enraged in the Bible is not even about, it's not about people being bad behaved because he hung out with that kind of people. It's not about the temple because he's just shared with, the, he's going to share a few chapters later with this woman that it's not about the temple order. That's not really where God meets his people. God meets people wherever they worship in heart and spirit and truth. Just as Pastor Benjamin shared earlier, God's temple is not one building where you can go and leave. No, the temple of God is in our hearts. Jesus was full aware of that. He was the very expression of that. So it's not because there was something Something terribly going on with the building, the temple in Jerusalem. That's not what enraged Jesus. He was not a, like a pharisaical Jew who was trying to uphold some kind of Jewish standard. So what, what was going on here? Let me just take you into the temple order for a while. There's a photo. No, it's not a photo, obviously. It's a... It's a, an illustration of the temple, how it, it would have looked at the time of Jesus. Now, Solomon's portico, those are the, the outer, the very outer court where there were plenty of space for people to meet up. And so the church uh, enlisted 3,000 new members in one go. So you could have quite a lot of crowd, quite a big crowd on one, in one of those areas uh, surrounding uh, the the temple but in the temple you would have a lot of stuff going on in that outer court this is where pharisees teachers of the law would be held, holding their meetings just like the first apostles did it where jesus also spoke to people it's where people would be begging it's where people would be 
also getting their sacrificial animals. Now, this is where Jesus and the story we just read plays out. What's going on? The temple order worked like this. You came to Jerusalem, like we just read a psalm, that is a psalm for going up to Jerusalem, making a communal statement of your belonging to God and belief in God and prayers to God. And you did that of your own accord, but once you arrived there, it was a communal thing. But you brought your sacrificial animal along the ride. And once you got to Jerusalem, at some point the temple order had developed this situation where if your, according to the, 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 the Old Testament, if your animal had any flaw, you couldn't sacrifice it to God. Makes sense, kind of. You don't want people to just bring whatever lame animal they couldn't use anyway. Just, hey, Lord, you can have it. So obviously, you need us to set in place some kind of standard. We know how human behavior is, right? It's going to go wrong otherwise. So it, it's a necessity to have somebody just checking. Now, what happened was that the, the, the temple order would check your animal, and no matter what you brought along the ride, they would find a flaw with it. I mean, no matter if you took your very best, they would find a flaw. And once they found it, you couldn't sacrifice. You couldn't even get into the presence of God. You couldn't get the remission of your sins. You couldn't do anything. You're not even part of the crowd anymore now because your animal just got, just got dismissed. But then, of course, they would supply you with an alternative. Now, the priests, they would have their own supply of flawless animals, and you'd look at them and say, probably, ah, oh, it's got the same uh, spot as mine has got. Well, but it's one of the priests' uh, spots, so it's flawless. Surely you wouldn't argue with a man of God. No, 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 sorry, sir, no, I wouldn't. So you would buy one of their overpriced animals, Ah, you see where this is leading. This is becoming a business model, right? So you bring your own thing. Everybody's invited for this potluck. Everybody gets to do But hey, that pot you brought along is not good enough. But you can buy one of my dishes over here. And you can bring that to the fellowship and the communal dining here. And, but of course, that's a bit overpriced, I know. But you can just buy a little s smaller portions, maybe. Get a smaller animal, but it's still overpriced, though. Now, you could also have people, according to the law of the Old Testament, you could, if it was hard for you to bring an animal, you could bring cash. So you could bring money. Now, they had seen through that as well in the temple. They were sneaky business people. So they said... In the temple, we have a special currency. It's holy currency. That's the temple money. It doesn't get used anywhere else. It's just the temple money. Because it's holy. And if you come with your ordinary, everyday coin, we will have to say no and decline because, because those coins are flawed. You don't want to be sacrificing anything flawed to the Lord, would you? No, certainly you wouldn't. Now, we can exchange your flawed money for the temple money and so you get to sacrifice the money that we just sort of exchange for at a let's just say an overrated price but anyway it's for the lord right so you don't mind paying an overrated price do you 
So everybody got ripped off, no matter if you brought something along or you brought cash. Everybody got ripped out of in the house of God. Amen. Is that a wonderful gospel of the Jewish temple order? No, it's not. It's really quite disturbing, actually, because people came there to worship God. And that is where Jesus comes into play. Now, he drove out the animals, not the people. It even says in the verse, if we kept reading, that people loved him. It actually says. If you keep reading, it says that the people loved him. The Pharisees didn't. <laughs> so obviously, he was not chasing out people. He was chasing, chasing out the abusive behavior of the clergy of the temple. And when he drove out and turned over the money changers' tables, it was because whatever happened on that table of exchanging phony money, phony monopoly money for the temple use with real money that people had to earn at an overrated price and not even have to do in the first place anyway, then it was just because of people taking advantage of somebody who wanted to worship God. Now... I think a table turned over is the appropriate response. Wouldn't you say so? Not out of anger, but out of love for God and for the people. Not out of anger with people, but out of love for people. Now, there's not much love going on in those uh, photos or pictures, illustrations I just shared with you. Not much love going on when you read the story, but we got to read even be, 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 uh, between the lines of what was going on. What is even the order we are reading about here? The temple transactions was a business, exploiting people's desire to know God. Jesus' popularity that we read about in the very same chapter stemmed from actually making God accessible to everyone. That's why people loved him, because he tore down the high bar that the clergy of the temple had put up there, which was hard for themselves, or they didn't even try themselves, but it made it even hard for others to actually follow and meet God. So Jesus was denouncing legalism, but holiness was proclaimed. The issue wasn't even that people had a business. I mean, it's not that Jesus hates business people, right? You could go, if you want to go that direction, I'd say you go wrong. But it's when you do, when you use business to keep people away from God, then you've got a problem. Because now you're dealing with God as your adversary. Now, Jesus became popular among the people. Not because he was abusive and angry with people, because he was defending people. The Bible illustrates that God himself incarnate came to show us what it means to be fully human and seeking God and what it means when people try to destroy 
that relationship between man and, and God and what, how God sees that when that happens. It deeply annoys him and angers him. Not the people, bear in mind, but the systems we put in place. Here comes a one-liner. I think I thought it up, so don't mind saying it. Here we go. Religiosity takes grace hostage and demands a ransom. That's what happens in this story. Religiosity takes grace as a hostage and demands a ransom. You can only get it in doses once you buy something here. You get a, a certain certain level of grace from the temple order system here. That's what religiosity does to people. It takes grace and holds it for ransom. And this story we just read is a reminder to us of how God sees that kind of system that holds grace for ransom. If you don't have enough money, if you don't come in the right clothes, if you don't behave according to our systems, then you're not able, not only are you not able to attend the worship here in the temple, you're not even at worthy of the fellowship in the temple, and you're definitely not going to worship God. Now, that's religiosity, what it does. And Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations yet you have turned it into a den of thieves now jesus didn't have a problem with thieves he hung around with them he had a problem with those holding back the grace of god to those same thieves now i won't make this afternoon much longer i'll, I'll just um I'll just conclude a few thoughts with you here. We can create God-defined and human-hostile systems today as well. This is not like a Jewish thing. We can't just explain it away and say, thank God we got rid of the temple order. Thank God that Jesus himself already foretold that this temple is going to be torn down and it's going to happen. And the first uh, apostles in the year 70 when the temple was torn down by the Romans, they knew that it was already foretold. And when they saw the Roman armies in the horizon, they all remembered what Jesus had said and they fled the city. So those left in the city, according to the old historians of ancient times, were the Jews because the Christian Jews already knew where this was leading. The temple is going to fall and the temple has to stay down. That's the new order that God has introduced to mankind because the new temple is with Jesus in your heart. And so when Jesus introduced the grace of God to all mankind, to everyone, those that have enough coin to pay the systems and those that don't. He wanted everybody to have the same uh, place at the table. Now, those systems, as I said, 
cannot just be attributed to Jewish religious customs. It's too easy for us to get off the hook of that. <laughs> we may say to ourselves, well, the Jews, what do you know? Yeah, they are able to make a coin. That's, that's, no, that's you and me. That's you and me. We make systems. And sometimes these systems have their origin in, uh, origin in something that was supposed to be holding us into God, but then they at some point hold us back from God. And let me just share with you one of some of the things I think we do. One thing we do, just, just the same as the, no, the temple order did, not necessarily the Pharisees, but the Sadducees and those in the temple, is that they said, you cannot atone yourself. We do it for you, but only some of you. But with Jesus, you don't have to atone yourself. You don't have to come with the full payment for the remission of your sins. Jesus already paid. Now, that seems like pretty basic Christian stuff, eh? But sometimes, I've seen it play out over and over again. We think that there needs to be, yeah, I give my life to Jesus. I surrender yet again. But there needs to be some time where I'm sort of in the back seat before I again can do whatever. Because you don't understand, I failed. I failed. So I need to take some time in the corner just regretting who I am and I was born and I know Jesus, he's, yeah, Jesus, that's the thing with Jesus. He forgives my sins, I know. But I've got to hold myself in that dark spot of my life. And we shame ourselves as sort of a, a remission of our sins, like a sort of atonement we want to pay. So we know that Jesus, you love me, and Jesus, I commit to you, and Oh, the things I said the other day, I really, and I did it in public, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but so I'd better lay low now for a while, and you're like putting yourself in shame. Maybe you do it with somebody else, but sometimes we can do it all by ourselves. Isn't that amazing? We have our own temple orders to keep us away from God, even though God freely gives it to us. And so we put ourselves on the bench and say, well... I've slipped, I've done wrong, I don't deserve. And Jesus invites you in and you go like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. But I just need to, I need to just lay low for a while, prove myself. Got to prove I do better next time. Now that's all good. We've been talking about behaviors and giving your life to Jesus today. But that's not what it takes to even get back to God and be fully on with God again. He admits you into his temple courts. He's not waiting for you to atone anything, to pay back your debts, because your debts have been paid. Now, that's one temple order we carry with us, too, to this day still. We do not allow ourselves to be atoned for just that easy. 
Then another thing we sometimes do is we want to tell ourselves we need to pay a higher price. Don't, you don't get in this easy. We say like, okay, God, use me, but... And then maybe he uses you. Maybe you actually are, are invited on, onto a team or into a group and you get to connect with somebody and you're like, yeah, I better, I better, I better not get too involved because I need to be 100% or nothing. I met people coming to me. They were that close to Jesus or, or saying yes to Jesus, but still they had that one thing, that comment saying, but I'm not fully there. It's like there's something in my life that's still not ready. I'm not ready to commit fully. And I'm like, who is? I mean, I have plenty of pastoral colleagues. None of them are. Uh, what? Your colleague, what kind of colleagues do you have? What about yourself anyway? Yeah, there you go. You get the point, right? Who is fully with Jesus? I mean, we think we are, hopefully most of the time, and then we're reminded, oh dear, there's still something going on in my heart. I still need Jesus. I can't come to the other side of it. I went through Jesus the door and I'll go like, Jesus, thank you for letting me in. I don't need you anymore. Thank you very much. No, it's like we keep passing through that door of grace constantly over and over again. It's not like there is any time in your life where you can say, I'm 100% with Jesus. No, that's not the point. You will never get to that point. So what we do with the grace extended to us by Jesus is the same as the Sadducees of the temple ordered it is we just raise the bar a bit just to make it, it impossible enough for you to not reach into God's presence and sometimes we do it with other people but we even do it with ourselves the third thing we do is that we try to explain to ourselves that we are not um, ready yet. I mean, there will be a time tomorrow, then I'll be ready, but not yet. The Sadducees were trying to convince people, oh, it's so good you've arrived in Jerusalem. Thank God, next year in Jerusalem, here we are. This is next year, so let's just celebrate and go animal. Oh, sorry, sir, that's not, that's not valid here. That's wrong currency you're carrying, sorry, but we will sort you out just over at the vendor's booth over there, and uh, you'll be good and set to go. You're not ready yet. But almost there. You know, almost there means not there. Almost there means you're not there. You're almost, you almost made the bus. What does that mean? You didn't make it, right? I almost made the train crossing, which means you didn't. I almost married that lady, which means I didn't. I almost got that promotion, which means you didn't get it. You know, almost there means you're left behind. 
which is why it is it does seem it does appear to be so close which means it's as good as if but really it's not at all so what is it jesus says it's that everybody gets to worship in the in the house of god it's that everybody gets to experience the grace of god if they come to worship bringing whatever animal they brought along hey but you don't know they'll exploit it they'll bring these lame animals along so you make a system to avoid that and the rest of them come on that's a worse system than the one you're trying to avoid and sometimes we do that to ourselves and we do that to each other we put up systems and saying well we want to control that not everybody just gets to say hey jesus i'm with you and then you've got some wrong ones in the crowd and you're like he's not fully with jesus we better not extend it to that kind of people so we better just make it difficult to get in on the game here we want to make sure that those that say they're christians they've gone through our complete uh, discipleship program and once they graduate we will should let them know that now you're part of the crowd thank god you made it but you know that kind of system has a flaw in it of making it almost you're almost there which is you're not there and that's what makes jesus turn over tables and the fourth and last one when we do these kind of systems in our own hearts with ourselves and with people around us we relegate people we we take them from the holies where god is encountered and put them in the outer yard we let them know that do, they do not belong that they do not they haven't made it they haven't made the cut we say that sometimes to ourselves we say that sometimes to others there's nothing more to gain for you unless you pay the full price which we've set up in our systems but let me let you in on why Jesus turned over the money changes tables it was because he was not content with our human systems of meeting god he wanted to make sure everybody who is seeking god no matter where they're coming from and with what they are coming have a, a, pl a place at the table of god and get to worship the living god and be transformed as they do so as i said yesterday night there is no better place for a sinful person to be than in the presence of god because with jesus christ that is the place you find help you do not want sinful people to take the message from the church that they should be outside of church because of their sins that is the opposite gospel the gospel of jesus christ is that through jesus christ every one of us sinful people get to be part of the table and jesus brought it back again and again and again as a subject of his preaching we read it again today from Luke chapter 4. These are good tidings for whom? For those that are broken and captive. And, and sometimes we just say to ourselves, well, I gotta get my things right. I gotta get my things together now because I wanna go to church. And I love what you said before. 
get to church even on a bad hair day. Ah, there is no such thing as something keeping you away from God. There shouldn't be such a thing. But we play the temple order over and over again in our own minds and hearts with ourselves and sometimes even with people around us, which is where Jesus would say what to you. He would say, show me your money-changing table and I'll turn that one over because you need to get into the presence of God right now, right now. Don't you even go and buy a prettier little goat to sacrifice. You just sacrifice what you got right now. Don't you even go anywhere to do better. You got to sacrifice wherever you are right now, not tomorrow. So our temple orders, it's not a Jewish thing. It's a human thing. Paul talks about us living as temples of the Holy Spirit. Let Jesus drive out. Let these pictures show you what Jesus thinks about these systems of ours. When we put them in place of grace, when we put them there instead of just reaching out and accepting his release, we do the same as the prophet Jeremiah called upon the tribe of, of Israel and uh, people of Israel and told them, you know God's heart and yet you don't do it. It's like, it's worth nothing knowing what is right and not doing it and not accepting it, not putting it into practice. And Jesus told the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that they should have known better that that same God is inviting people to worship in the temple. As do you and I know that Jesus shares the same grace with us. So as we conclude today, I hope you understand that release is not about you becoming better and trying to make amends for what you haven't seen released. It's about submitting where you're at with Jesus and letting his release influence every single part of your life. You're not supposed to go away from here with a, something you got to get in order. Then you can come back to open church and then you are ready for the full release of Jesus. We're speaking out here today, a release today not because we know your life and knows it to be right, but because we're pretty sure your life is not right, because we know your life is far from perfect, just like our lives are not perfect, but because we know that there's a perfect God who reigns from above and who sent his son Jesus Christ to reach out to you and to me and meet our needs as we come before him. But it just takes you and me to come before him, not holding back. So let us not be the people to whom the prophet Jeremiah had to remind them. Guys, you know what's right. Why are you holding back? You're not, you're not going to see God's blessing upon your life knowing what is right but not doing it.
And Jesus says, let me turn over a few tables in your life. <laughs> let me chase out some holy cows. <laughs> because, you know, what are these cows doing in your life anyway? Make room for Jesus. <laughs>